0: This is the India Art Review Podcast, and I'm your host, Sri Lakshmi.
1: Sulu Sulu's name Storm in the Garden. Sunu, Sunu the snail was visiting his friends, the ants. They climbed all over him. <laughs> they climbed under him. <laughs> Suddenly, great white light crashed through the clouds. Sunu, Sunu quickly pulled in his head, pulled in his tail and sat very still. Outside, the sky grew dark, and the crows flew past. Ka, 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 ka. Oh,
0: but where were the ants? This is Sandhya Rao, reading from her popular book for children, Sunu Sunu Snail. Sandhya, as we all know, is one of the most prominent voices in Indian children's literature. Journalist, translator, and teacher... Sandhya wears many hats. Sandhya has written dozens of books. Her popular works include My Friend the Sea, which won the ambitious Children's Book Project Award at the Berlin Children and Youth Literature Festival in 2005. My Mother's Sari was chosen as an outstanding international book in 2007 by the United States Board for Books for Young People and the Children's Book Council. She lives in Chennai, India Art Review is delighted to begin its podcast with such an amazing author. Sandhya, we have been reading your works for years now and it feels great that we are having this conversation today. What was the first thought or incident that prompted you to start writing for children? I mean, what was the muse really?
1: To be very honest, there was no muse. The muse was or the inspiration was the fact that books for children being produced in other parts of the world that are so that were so lovely. And this friend of mine, Radhika, she had two small boys at the time and my son hadn't been born then. And we would look at these books and ooh and ah over them. And discuss and say one day we should create books like these Indian books for our kids. And that was just a discussion we would have. And every time she bought something for her kids or I saw something in a bookshop, we would share them with each other or discuss them. And that's how this was many, many years ago. Then eventually we both found ourselves back in Chennai. She's also a Chennai girl, so am I Madras girl to take the old name. And uh We both found ourselves back in Madras at the same time, and I was working with Frontline Magazine. So, I mean, children's books was not anywhere in my scheme of things. And I was a huge reader myself, and I had been reading since I was a small child. Then she sort of started to talk about how she wanted to set up a publishing house for children. And then we started discussing that. I wrote a, I mean, I rewrote a folktale my grandmother used to tell me over and over again. And I drew pictures of it and all that and presented it to her on her birthday, kind of to inspire her to start. So, and then a few later down the line, she started and asked me to join her as an editor. So she founded a company called Tulika Publishers. And I joined her as an editor. And so because we were so confident that would do well. But if you want to run a publishing company, you need to have books, right? So that's how I started, actually started writing for children.
0: That's indeed a great story. Now, could you please share with us an interesting story behind one of your stories? Childhood memories or something? I'm sure you have many in your kitty.
1: Well, I have told you one story about this book called A e Swali Don Case Wali, which I shortened to Eki Doki, and it was first published in 1997, I think. It's, it continues to be reprinted. The story was hugely popular when I was growing up, and it continues to be popular now. Well, there's always a story about a story. Sometimes it's a very, very short story in the sense that suddenly you get an idea, you sit at the computer, and duck, 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 the story just tells itself. Or there is something you research and you work on and you rework a lot and
0: then it takes shape as a story. You're a journalist too. As we understand, writing for the media is more factual while your works for children involve creativity, that is fiction. So what is more exciting? You know, I love writing. I love
1: anything to do with words. I love reading. I love listening to stories. I love listening to stories of reporters who have covered this, that, or other event. So basically, it's all to do with stories. I don't think I can choose between the two, because ever since I remember, ever since I was nine or 10 years old, I had dreamt of becoming a journalist. I didn't know what it meant. I thought you just sat in a comfortable chair, put your feet up and wrote what I don't know, but you wrote. So eventually, when I did become a journalist, I realized that it is, yeah, maybe some small part of it, if you're lucky, and I, I got lucky, you got opportunities to write, but a lot of it is a lot of routine work. I've never been bogged down by routine work. Whatever
0: I do, I give it my 100%. So that's how it was with journalism. Writing for children is not easy. Uh, In fact, it seems to be the toughest component in literature because grabbing the attention of children is like catching a cloud and pinning it down. Uh, How exactly do you do that? I enjoy interacting with
1: children. I enjoy, like I said, listening to stories, reading stories. In fact, I find the process of writing itself quite agonizing. And writing a story for children is a huge, huge challenge. You talked about creativity. I think you need creativity in every aspect of your life. You need creativity and imagination in order to live as well as you can. By as well as you can, I mean, you make use of what opportunities you have, You appreciate what there is around you. You are up for whatever challenge comes your way and you tackle it in an imaginative, creative way. You know, you work to create a harmonious environment and you contribute towards creating a harmonious world. Yes, journalism also calls for a lot of creativity as also writing for children. The thing with writing for children is... It's tougher in the sense that you cannot manipulate a child. Because a child will then just say, I find this very boring and put it away or stop listening or turn his or her back on you when you're telling the story. And these are very real things that happen to you, you know. And then again, you don't want to talk down to the child. You can only write what you know in the way that you know. Personally, when I write, I don't become that child. I might try to recall some things, but I can only be what I am now. And I can only try to connect the who that I am now with the children who are there for whom I'm writing. Children will write like children and adults will write like adults. The, the underlying thing is, are you able to communicate? Are you able to get across? That's the thing. Whether you're writing an article for a newspaper or whether you're writing a story for a child, that's the important thing I feel
0: how important is the idea of morals in children's books? You know, you can't
1: separate emotions. It can't be just happiness and joy. We all live in a very real world. So different people write different kinds of stories. Aesop's fables come with morals, but I'm no Aesop, and I'm not there to teach morals. But yes, Every book that's worth anything at all, whether it is for adults or for children, says something more than the sum of the words in it. If there's a book that I really like, it speaks to me ideas and words that go beyond the story itself or the text itself. So too with children's books. So you don't need, firstly, to have a moral at the end. You don't have to state, okay, so this is the message. Too much messaging is preaching, and nobody likes to be preached at. I mean, I don't, I know for sure. But when a story reveals itself, when a text reveals itself, whether it's a fiction or a work of non fiction, when the text reveals itself, it makes an impact on you in more ways than you can imagine. Sometimes you don't even realize it, but you've learned so much from it. That is the beauty of good writing and good writers. And that is why also a very good writer can also manipulate you without your realising it.
0: (laughs) Do you think Indian folklore has got its due in terms of global popularity? Uh, Do you worry about such things when you write? See, it's not a question of reaching Indian culture. It
1: is a question of writing what you are familiar with, what you are comfortable with. I love saris. I've grown up around people wearing saris. I love wearing saris. And I think in India, we have weavers and embroiderers and block printers and all of them who create such beautiful... They are Actually, every sari that they create is a work of art. And every time I wear a sari, I feel that. So, you know, you wish to communicate the world as it exists around you. Children come and tell me, you know, they say, we, you know, we like books in which we find children like ourselves. While it's true that our imaginations allow us to understand and accept stories from all different cultures, and I believe it's very important to read across cultures, it's also important for the voice to be true. Then you're writing about things that you know. Not that you always have to do it. It's not a rule or anything. But you don't have to push Indian culture for the sake of Indian culture. That's like moralizing and preaching. I would love to talk
0: about my mother's sari especially. It's awesome.
1: It was written as an emotional connect between a small child and his or her mother who wears a sari. And the sari is a very, very... I mean... All of us who've grown up with mothers who wore saris and who ourselves wear saris, we know how children find comfort in saris, right? So it could just as well be a salwar kurta or a dupatta. It could just as well be a pair of shoes that Amma wears or mom wears, whatever. It's about that emotional connection. And I think. As far as children, small children go, or any child or any human being goes, that emotional connect is the most important aspect of books and reading and experiences and sharing.
0: Tell us about your non-fiction Zakir and his tabla. It has got wider attention. So what was the inspiration behind choosing Zakir Hussain for your picture biography? Okay, there are two aspects to this. One, I'm a huge fan
1: of Zakir Hussain. Uh, Ever since I was a college student, and, uh, you know, it was quite a heartthrob among all of us. And he played so beautifully, he made, cut such a dashing figure, all of that, you know, such a genius. And listening to his music is just so amazing. And as I grew older, and thanks to my journalism and interviews with the dancers and musicians, I got to know a little bit more about him, Allah I interviewed Ali Akbar Khan once many, many years ago in Ahmedabad. So there are all these connections. On the other hand, the publishers commissioned this work asked me to write this book because they felt, apart from the fact that he's a genius, And it would be a wonderful way of communicating the, you know, the the fascination of, of getting children interested in music, because he's such an interesting person. And he, in one sense, exemplifies this, you know, multifaceted, multicultural aspect of India, culturally, in terms of religion, in terms of the music he plays, at every level, he makes these connections. He in a sense embodies a sense of harmony of unity and they from the publishers point of view they that's why they chose they wanted a book on zakir hussain because they wanted this communicated to children And they approached me to write the book. And that was perfect because already he was quite a hero in my mind. So I could uh, justifiably, without making any excuses, listen to his music for hours and hours and search for all kinds of interviews, listen to watch films and uh, read books and collect information, spend a lot of time in the world of Zakir Hussain's music his father's music the kind of work his brothers are doing learn about his growing up so yeah that's how that happened you know there's so much but you have you can you only have this much space you have to hold a child's attention so you can't go on and on and on so you have to make it interesting and the idea is in the hope that this will inspire children to look at music to find out more to think about the world as one, to deal with their own prejudices, all of these things.
0: How important is
1: illustration in a children's work? Illustrations are very, very important, particularly in picture books. I think they're crucial. And I think text and pictures have to be balanced equally. Each has to bolster the other, and together they tell the story and take it beyond the pages of the book. That's what I believe. Most of the time, the publishers decide who the illustrator is going to be, who they think is the most suitable for a book like this. Sometimes there can be a lot of interaction between the writer and the illustrator. Sometimes, you know, you can work in isolation, but there is a lot of sharing and feedback most of the time. When that happens, the book itself becomes better. For instance, this book with Ikkara, which is only just published. It's a large size book. It's called Our World. It's a bilingual book. I had it been illustrated by Proiti Roy. I had wanted her to illustrate the book. And luckily for me, they tried someone else that didn't work out because that illustrator was unwell. So then we went back to Proiti and I was delighted. We discussed a lot and the publishers also discussed this a lot with me. So it just depends.
0: You have been writing for years now and has closely observed the way publishing has evolved, especially in children's literature. So what are the changes that have caught your attention?
1: I think on the one hand, there are many more young people writing for children today, also illustrating. And there are also, there are very many more adventurous writers in the sense that they are writing itself in a different way. They are covering a lot of different themes that were considered Taboo at one time, Uh, they're writing about them. I'm not sure that all of them work very well, but some of them certainly do in the hands of the better writers. And there is great interest in creating books for children. There is still the perception that I tell my child stories every night at bedtime, so I thought I could write a book. Uh, writing is not quite like that. It calls for a certain degree of that little extra in order to make a book from a story that you might have been telling your child. So sometimes it works, a lot of the times it doesn't. But there is a lot more discourse around children's books these days and the need for children's books. And the other thing that is very close, again, to my heart, is that multilingual publishing, that more and more people are trying to publish books, even your supposedly elitist English publishing companies are doing books in Indian, other Indian languages. It is true that in certain languages, the demand is not that great, either due to issues of relating to literacy or due to the fact that the market is small. And finally, publishing is business. no? So it has to, I mean, they have to, a publishing house has to make ends meet. They have to pay royalties. They have to pay the printer. They have to pay the people working there, right? So they have to find a balance. So in this respect, I find small independent publishers are, are being really brave and, you know, by holding on to publishing in different languages. So there's more of that. Earlier, there was only one NBT that was doing it, and that was a state-supported publishing house. But now you'll find a lot more experimenting, a lot more translation happening, and a lot more importance being given to other languages too. This is not to undermine any language. I think uh, books for children in any, any language are as precious as books in, you know, in every other language.
0: I've come across a sentence recently, which says, there are a lot of children in Afghanistan, but little childhood. Are children growing up so fast these days? What are we losing here? We would love to hear your comments. And we'll be delighted if we can talk about this with reference to your book, My Friend the Sea.
1: We had heard when, when the tsunami happened, we heard that so many children who lived, children of fisher folk and others who lived by the sea were afraid of the sea. So that actually, because this book is preceded by another book called Suresh and the Sea, which talks about a little boy from a fishing family growing up beside the sea, okay? It's a book about a certain kind of childhood. Then when the tsunami happened and we got reports that children were afraid and all that, we felt, okay, we needed to do something. I think each one of us has to do what work within whatever it is that we are doing in life so books is what i was we were working with and that's how we, i decided to write this book and the idea was uh, to to leave the children with a sense of hope you know, and help them get over the fear you know and this book was translated into kanda tamir and hindi the person who was distributing the book said normally we read about other children in other places now, other people will read about us, and we are very really happy about that.
0: Is there any thought or concept that you have always wanted to work on but uh, hindered by writer's block?
1: Okay, actually, it's there. Uh, There was one idea that I had about the world being connected, everybody being connected to everybody else. And I had worked out a small text around that and even made a little dummy with possible. I can't draw, but with whatever little inability I had, I kind of tried to draw some pictures and all that, but somehow uh, it didn't get picked up and it was just lying with me for many, many years. That's the one that has actually found home in in Ekhtara. It's like one and a half feet tall and about nine or ten inches broad that kind of really big big size big big book yeah so that has only recently just been published about a month ago so uh, so yeah that was something that was there waiting to be seen and it is finally being seen
0: what according to you will help a child start reading that will make him pick up his first book. I think. I think it's
1: important that uh, you know each one reads whatever they want to read. A lot of people, a lot of uh, young people, particularly, come and ask me. My child doesn't read. Do you, what do I do? And I always tell them, Do you read? Do they see you read? You know, it's important. Because children will imitate small children, particularly if they see mom and dad reading, they will also pick up something and start whether they can read or not, they will start looking at books. And uh, the other thing is to give the child freedom of choice in picking up whatever they want, you know, not to censor what they read and not to be so anxious about it because reading can happen at any age and these days with computers reading on the computer that's also literacy that's also reading so you know uh, there are different kinds of reading these days you just doesn't mean you, you have to pick up a book but having said that there's no greater pleasure than picking up a book and losing yourself completely in it every morning I wake up and I I am so grateful that I like to read and even more grateful that there are such wonderful writers writing books for us.
0: I remember you mentioning yourself as into cutlet. That's a very cool word. Is there any funny story behind it? <laughs> it was very popular
1: when I was in school and college, you know. <laughs> he's a real and enth- enth- enthusiastic about everything, No, It's one of those phrases that, uh, yeah. So I am a little bit like, I get excited by everything, you know. I get, this grand old
0: age, I still get excited and yeah. That was a great conversation, Sandhya. Thank you for finding time to talk to India Review. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the India Art Review podcast. In this episode, we were talking to eminent children's writer and journalist Santhya Rao. Welcome back with yet another interesting episode soon. Until then, this is your host Sri Lakshmi signing off. Keep supporting India Art Review, India's most unique arts journal.